Hey, Chef Dean here. Gotta tell you about Rosa Grande pepperoni for your pizzas. These little beauties feature a cool cup and char look and a premium taste. They'll bring your customers back like they were boomerangs. Check them out at HormelCupAndChar.com. Welcome to Table Talk, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the dynamic and exciting restaurant world. We sit down with industry leaders as they share best practices, highlight smart solutions, and discuss strategies for growth, ultimately helping food service operators learn how to affect positive change and grow their business. Now, here is your host, editor and publisher of Food Service and Hospitality Magazine, Rosanna Kyra. It's my great pleasure today to welcome Rudy Fischbacher to Table Talk. Rudy is the Dean of George Brown College's Center for Hospitality and Culinary Arts, and he leads the development of new programs that reflect industry innovation and the establishment of key partnerships to expand the college's reach and reputation and provide real-world learning opportunities for students. A dynamic and intuitive leader, Rudy thrives on building a strong culture of innovation and collaboration and prioritizes open communication to ensure everyone is working towards the same objective, providing students with the best possible learning experience. Before coming to George Brown College in 2022, Rudy held various leadership roles at Humber College, including Associate Dean of the Faculty of Business and Associate Dean and then Acting Dean at the School of Hospitality, Recreation and Tourism. Prior to his work in the college sector, Rudy was the executive chef and food and beverage director at Stage West All Suite Hotel in Mississauga. Rudy earned his Canadian Culinary Federation Certified Chef de Cuisine designation and a certificate in culinology and food service from the Guelph Food Technology Center. He also earned an MBA in hospitality administration and management from the University of Guelph a Certificate of Excellence in Educational Leadership and Administration from Colleges and Institutes Canada, and a Certificate in College Leadership Excellence from Colleges Ontario. Welcome, Rudy. Great to see you. It's glad to be here. It's amazing. It's quite the introduction. I haven't heard myself being listed at that such a length. Yeah, thank you. That's quite a bio, and you've done quite <laughs> a lot of uh, different things throughout your uh, you know, renowned career. And I know you joined uh, George Brown earlier this summer, which was really big news for the industry when you moved over from Humber College to George Brown. Um, So it's been a busy summer, I'm sure, for you. And I thought we could start off with a little bit about um, the transition that you've had from Humber to George Brown and your role in coming to Canada's largest culinary uh, institution. So why don't we start there? Yeah, thank you very much. Now, I think it was great. I mean, 18 years at Humboldt College obviously was quite a successful run for me. And uh, we all built a nice hospitality, culinary and tourism uh, program there as well. But moving to back into downtown Toronto, into the city and being uh, at the helm of the Center for Hospitality and Culinary Arts was definitely something uh, I aspire to and we've given the opportunity. And as you know, it only happens every eight to 10 years when that position sort of gets <laughs> an opportunity to be taken. So I, I was definitely uh, buying for it and uh, put my best foot forward and also an experience. And I think it's it's a great place to be back in the city. It's a great, vibrant uh, college. Uh, it has the center uh, is really the whole building 
just oozes the hospitality, the culinary arts, the baking, the students. I mean, you come into the front entrance and you already smell like baked goods coming out of out of the lab. So it's it, it's a great place to be. And I think the onboarding was uh, very, very uh, pleasant. I mean, from the president to the provost to the VPA, very supportive, very welcoming, um, really making sure that I get settled in well over the summer months. It was a good time to actually start the summer because it's July, August tradition is slower uh, in the college sector. So it gave me enough time to get to know everyone in, in person, uh, get to connect with the teams and getting ready for a very busy fall semester because it's the first semester we're fully back on campus. So rather being more like mostly remote outside of the labs, it was nice, really nice buzz that was came back uh, by late August, early September. It was very nice. Yeah. Well, that's great. And, and you're absolutely right about the buzz that you get when you walk into the college. There's always activity. There's always that great smell of the baking department coming through. But for you coming into George Brown in August, just as you know, we're trying to get out of COVID, that must have been also a bit of a challenging transition because things have changed so dramatically since COVID happened almost now three years ago. Did that create a different set of challenges for you coming in during this period? Well, I think there were a few challenges. One was uh, obviously, as you know, with John uh, announcing his uh, sort of re retirement from his position, and he's been a leader there for 20 plus years, uh, moving this school of hospitality, tourism management from two city Richmond back over the 300 Adelaide, there was definitely a change management approach mm -hmm. that was needed, making sure everybody was settled into the new office spaces and making sure that two, basically all three schools, because you have a large continued education school, you've got the chef school and the school of hospitality and tourism management all converging back onto one building. So I think that was uh, definitely a high priority for me to make sure that we fully communicate um, those changes, making sure everybody felt welcome, supported, and set up for success for them to start their classes in the fall semester. So uh, starting off with a full welcome back breakfast, getting everybody out. And to your point, being three years in, in pandemic mode, I think I would call it, is you know working 90% from home on a computer, teaching and trying to do the best you can in that sense to coming back on campus. There's definitely a transition. Still, it is taking a bit of time for folks to, for faculty to switch back into in-person education. Uh, I think the students are very excited to be back on campus because they want to connect with their peers. And also that was my uh, sort of priority to looking at how do we, how do I connect the team, the faculty, the support staff, the administration to get all together. So we had a great uh, welcome back breakfast, uh, basically giving everyone an opportunity to connect in person because some hadn't seen each other for like two plus years. Right. Uh, and also for us to table our plan, our business plan with the new um, management, because also consider that I have a new business manager, two new chairs, myself being new. So it's quite a new team from the top down that took on uh, this first year uh, at Churchmont College. So new is great because everybody comes with their lens. And, and, and also there's a few of the, the uh, like John that's been here for many years, having that mix of both, uh, looking at everything in a, in, a, in a different way. 
uh, definitely gave us the opportunity to reevaluate everything um, and and making it stronger for 23, 24 as well going into it. But yes, it is a transitional time. Getting folks back on campus is a priority for sure because it is a college experience that students, of course, you know, have that one-on-one connection with the faculty, with the staff, and the students. Well, that makes total sense, and. I want to come back a little bit more to that in a few minutes, mm-hmm. but I want to just segue for, for a short um, amount of time, um, just on your own career trajectory, because I'm always interested how people like you in, in the dean position, how they moved through the system and what got, you know, what got them started in hospitality, because I don't think when you were growing up, you thought you were going to be a dean of a, of a you know, a hospitality college. You no. probably had no idea about that. So I'd be interested in hearing a little bit more about your trajectory. Well, basically, I started off as a traditional apprenticeship in in, in chef and cooking at in Austria. I think I did three year three year training, uh, wrote my chef's papers, went to the army services, and then started traveling. I went to Switzerland, uh, Sweden, Spain, Germany. So I went all over Europe and really collecting what we need as a young chef to get all the experience and, and get the different cuisines, as we would call it, because we were all traditionally trained in sort of French continental cuisine. Uh, and then coming over to Canada was just sort of a, a one-year experience. And now it turned out to be 30-plus years. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. It definitely grew on me. But... Yeah, I started at the Fairmont Royal York Hotel and then opened up uh, Stage West uh, Allspeed Hotel, which was great. How I connected was with the Chef Association and just to getting to know all the chefs within the city. And that was building that network coming from Europe. And it was important to me to make sure that I understand what the lay of the land of the industry is as a whole. And uh, how did I get into teaching? Well, it was a simple call uh, one evening at the hotel when one of a uh, fellow chef teacher at Humber College, listen, I threw my back out. I can't do my class tomorrow. Would you like to teach? I'm like, oh, wow. Well, what would you like me to do? I was like, well, it's easy. It's just, you know, you, you need to butcher a leg of veal. And it's the finest, but, you know, class. And I'll give you all the details and I'll leave it a binder. It's like, well, it was the first time stepping on a college, jumping in a kitchen and 24 students looking at me and like, okay, what do we do now? Right. So it was, but I think it really, that would sort of lit the fire in me. I said, wow, education is something really interesting. It, it gave me the opportunity to give back what I had learned over the years and mm-hmm. inspiring that new generation that was going through and, and, and fe- feeling that same love for the culinary arts and leaving, feeling that same love for hospitality and creating great dishes and learning great skills at, at, along the way. So and that became then, you know, part-time teaching so kind of on my day off was going there to teach and then uh, after nine years it was an opportunity to start as a program coordinator uh, in a full-time capacity as faculty at the, at the college so it was great and the one thing I always thought keep offering yourself to new courses so not just sticking with one topic but always taking on new topics learning as much as you can mm-hmm. so it became an asset to them as I listen you know you can teach 10 11 different courses that's great so that that, that also spoke so it's Going back to lifelong learning, I think it's important to constantly develop yourself and constantly work on yourself mm-hmm. because you're doing it, you know, in, in for the for the right reasons. Yeah, that's an amazing story, and and it's great um, to show that kind of progression. But it also must have given you, you know, being so hands on and being a chef 
that kind of knowledge must really be helpful to you right now in your position because you've gone through it all. So you understand it innately, which somebody who's maybe an academic and has never gone through that would look at this whole process so differently. Absolutely. I think that really is is an asset. And I think it's great that uh, I had the experience from the hospitality travel event side as much as the I call front of house and back of house and the culinary side. And from the design side, because we designed new kitchens at the college uh, from the equipment, knowing what needs to be installed and what needs to be put into a learning kitchen and making sure that the students get the right training and get the get them exposed to as many different types of equipment and making sure that it works with the curriculum as well. So it is that operational side of it, along with the academic side and that nice blend of it both, I think definitely helps me specifically here now as we're undergoing a fair amount of uh, renovations. We're just completing the new wine and mixology labs, which is a great part. So our next project is the three demonstration uh, labs going to be all renovated between January to the end of August. Uh, so we're putting a serious amount of money into the building to get it completely refreshed top to bottom. Atrium is going to be next. So it'll be my goal. I think my vision is to make it as hospitable as possible as soon as you walk in through the front entrance and feel like, yep, it should speak hospitality from the very first impression coming in. So I think that is what we, what we would strive to that's amazing. And I look forward to seeing some more, some more of those changes happen over the next while. Um, so going back a little bit to you coming on, you know, into the school during the end of COVID or what we hope is the end of COVID, um, colleges and universities have really changed from pre-pandemic. They've been forced to change. It's not like you necessarily wanted to make all these changes, but COVID really uh, forced everybody to make a series of change. How has the online learning change the delivery of uh, the delivery model for education moving forward, because even though I'm sure you're all happy to be back in some capacity, when I speak to a lot of educational institutes uh, across the industry, uh, a lot of them are telling me that online will still become part of the new normal to some degree. So how has that delivery model changed because of COVID? And, And how do you think it'll continue to change moving forward? Yeah, I think March 22 was definitely a, a pivotal point. The word pivotal was used a lot those days, <laughs> pivoting every five seconds. Uh, but I think we were shoved into this environment and making sure how do we graduate our students, uh, not being able to have them in person. It really pushed everyone to, you know, um, looking at everything in a new lens, uh, also looking mm-hmm. at how do we deliver it uh, effectively? Are we making sure that we have maintaining academic integrity, which was definitely a challenge being all online. And as you know, there's an opportunity for plagiarism. Um, how does technology will help us? Because uh, internet connectivity, looking at different software platforms, what works best? So we're actually in the process of changing our learning management system at Church Run College from Blackboard to uh, D2L, which is Brightspace. Uh, just knowing that we want to harness that sort of, um, uh, you know, crisis uh, created a new opportunity to look at everything in a different light. I think, and now we're investing in uh, from VR3 lenses, uh, like having the experience of VR3, uh, because hospitality, destination management, uh, there's so many opportunities that you can then 
use that in-class experience mm-hmm. and then have that projected out to the students and knowing that they're going to be ready in that digital workforce. Because I think our whole learning platform had changed. And I think many of the courses are able to, or are still going to be able to be offered online. It also helps mm-hmm. students to then have easy access to learning and don't have to bus or go train into the city and get here or right. at the same time can manage their classes better. And then they'll be here for the labs. But then other than that, they have the flexibility to, to really um, manage their week better. And also now, as you know, with the new international requirements, they can, international students can work longer hours now mm-hmm. that gives them a chance to earn more money. So that's, and also gain more experience in the industry. I think that's, that's very important. Uh, and I think the flexible learning, I think, is the future where we need to look at hybrid learning. We need to mm-hmm. look at high flex learning. We need to look at application of AI, uh, artificial intelligence. And how does that look in the classroom? How do we integrate all those um, software platforms and make it engaging? I think the key is what which, uh, many, I think, faculty grappled with during the pandemic was how do we keep it engagement? Imagine yourself with 46 students on a, yeah. on a on a screen and maybe five, six turn on the video camera. And That's the, right. And the rest all has little circles. So how, how does that gonna, you know, it's very yeah. difficult to teach in that environment, really difficult. So we want to have a blend of it all. And also when we do the scheduling, that we look at sort of AM scheduling options with PM scheduling options. So students have the opportunity to either do pick one or the other and then maybe work go go to work at, at the other uh, during the other times so uh, we want to be as accessible as possible and as you know the cost of living has risen quite dramatically huge, huge. Yeah. so how do we put money back into the students pockets we look at elements of from the usual physical book that you would use to e-text less expensive more versatile easy access how do we look at open learning resources like open, and then also look at our uh, digital library as a, as a resource. So it's incredible. Yeah. So if you look at my office, I don't have a binder here. I don't need a binder, right? Because the paper is sort of sustainable as well. Right. We use uh, when it comes to the OneDrive, when it comes to SharePoint, when it comes to, you know, using all the different cloud-based uh, storage capabilities that we would amazing. Have. Yeah. And everybody has access to, and you can control the access who's, viewing what and it also helps uh really to be yeah working on the go and and i do you take the go train not to make a commercial out of it but (laughs) it's easy you hop on it you clear up some emails you can check and review some documents you get in and it is just the way of uh, how we look at work education in a very different way absolutely that's pretty amazing. Um, and, and you touched a little bit on AI and VR. How are you using AI and VR in the classroom yet? Are you are you actually using that now, or are you just yeah. looking to adopt it? No, actually, during during the pandemic, VR came quite, especially in the School of Hospital Tourism Management. One of the faculty uh, looked at the VR and actually had one of the industry partners, Hilton, look at how do we set up an event space virtually. How- wow. How do we set up a you know a wedding virtually or, or a corporate event? So that all became a VR experience. And AI, I'm just using right now at the chef's house with the Qlon. Qlon is basically a new uh, scanning opportunity you can download from an app in a, in a phone. Um, and we're testing this to basically make the 
menu and the plate become alive. So it becomes a full 360 screening. So when you come onto a website and you want to look at a, a, a menu item rather than having just a text or a static photo, you can grab the plate and sort of spin it around, look at it from every that's angle. Amazing. And also it should indice it and also, but I think that's where we at. And we're looking at obviously using iPads for, for order taking, using QR codes for many explanations and also listing the recipe and, and all the allergens. So there's a lot of work that's going into it as we speak to modernize the experience front of house in the restaurant as also back of house using the KDS, which is the kitchen display systems and teaching the students what they will then experience when they go out into the, uh, you know, the large chain restaurants or hotels and the top rated uh, resorts for sure. That sounds so exciting. I mean, yeah, that's it a is lot fun. of it is fun. in a matter of a few years. That's great. Hey guys, it's Chef D. I'm here to tell you about Primoro Bacon Flavored Crumbles. These little bundles of wonder add real bacon flavor anywhere on the menu without crazy high bacon prices. Get a sample at BaconCrumbles.com and see for yourself. Um, so Rudy, you touched a little bit on, you know, trying to make things easier for students with the cost of living and, and everything else that's going on. But we've heard a lot too about declines in the last yep. couple of years. Obviously, the pandemic really affected uh, enrollment, but this was a problem that was kind of percolating for a few years, even before the pandemic. I know you get a lot of international students, and, and I know there's been some changes on that front with allowing them to, to work more, as you said. Um, mm -hmm. How is that whole international situation evolving now? How is your enrollment? Is it is it improving? Or is it still in decline? I know the majority of your students, I think, are international students, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, where are we at with that? Yeah, I mean, it is coming out of a sort of declining mode. I think we definitely have plateaued. We stabilized and we're now looking at for winter, we're already at about 108% of budget. So we are exceeding our budget expectations when it comes to enrollment. You're right, the mix has changed. Uh, we're looking at about 50% international, 50% domestic students. And I think because to your point, the pandemic was very, very detrimental to our hospitality industry and travel. And it was just devastating. And from uh, that part forward, how do we now on the domestic side gain that confidence that their mom and dad says, listen, you know, my son or daughter, yes, this is a great industry to go into. This is a great career you can have. And it is a great career, 100%. I mean, if you look at the opportunities, there's over 300,000 positions posted across the country that need to be filled. So I know operators are calling us. We just had you know, multiple industry partners. We had the three job fairs already just in the fall semester because everybody's in, in dire need from the resorts out west to out east, east coast or up north. I mean, it was in the city. Like everybody's looking for... That qualified the opportunity for the students and the graduate is now to because they will accelerate very quickly getting into the industry they will climb to a, a supervisor management position within a very short period of time because to the lack of the core that we really lost in, uh, during the pandemic so i think that is important and yes international students will be uh, i think the core also when it comes going forward, who are those who are going to be working in our industry? So we're looking at transferable skills that may have had a degree at their home country. How do, can we look at some of the, uh, you know, uh, um, PLOs and also looking at 
can we give impartial credits towards to make sure they get their certification quicker, looking at professional experiences to make sure that they are able to progress quicker, get their credentials. And I think it's still very important that they get that formal training because that will then allow them to progress into management a lot quicker unless somebody who just comes out of high school or just you know, lands in the country and not having any sort of formal training, it will sort of limit their progression. I think that is definitely a differentiation because we build so many certifications into the curriculum from everything from first aid to you know, food safety, sanitation to uh, smart serve. Um, there's so much that is going into it that want to walk out with all those extra sort of additional certification on top of the credential they're coming in for. So that's definitely important. So if I'm a student, I mean, getting um, hands-on experience is obviously very important to me if I'm a student and you want to get out into the industry and work with with other chefs and learn from them. You have this great chef's house, which is a wonderful way for for students to learn. Uh, What is happening on the apprenticeship side? Because I know apprenticeship apprenticeship programs have always been very, very important in the industry. Um, Co-op programs. Are, Are you still doing a lot of those programs? And has that been beefed up? Oh, uh, great question. I think the industry needs to come to the table now working with uh, like yourself or Tony Lennis from Orma or, or with Hack to look at apprenticeship being a core. Apprenticeship has declined for the last 10 years. It's maybe only 10 or 15% what it used to be in enrollment. Really? really Why is that? Well, that's a good question. We always ask the same industry, to, like, why don't you take on apprentices? Why don't you register them? It's an earn and learn opportunity uh, it is a lot less expensive than post-secondary education uh, you don't get a full diploma credential but you always can then bridge into getting a diploma credential by picking up engineers and writs and, and, and comms mm-hmm. courses and then allows you to progress into a degree as well so there's there's uh, a laddered approach to it that we look at you can kind of minister certificate okay a diploma okay a degree but apprenticeship I was an apprentice many, many years ago, but that kind of gave me the foundation to of the course. industry. And it was all the training and that relationship between industry training them. When I worked at the Royal York Hotel, we had 12 apprentices. It was it was just a, a given thing. All the major hotels, it was the you know, King Eddie or the Sheraton or the Hill. That's right. They all had apprentices. It's gone. It's absolutely gone. It's baffling to me. Because it's one of the things that I don't understand why it's not being done more. And we've been literally knocking on everybody's doors, like, why aren't you training apprentices? Is it a cost? Is it a cost issue for them that they feel mm-hmm. like they're spending too much money to train the students? Or absolutely not. I think you have initial training investment, but then when you wrote, and what I used to do in my hotel was rotate apprentices through all the different stations and get the full training. If it was the patisserie, like the pastry shop, mm-hmm. if it was banqueting if it was a la carte they learned they came around and it helps you with your succession planning many restaurants that well, i don't have any staff i said well how many apprentices do you have nobody well, exactly if you don't have a foundation it's like a house you don't got a foundation how are you going to build up your yeah. team you can't build your team up without looking at what is in it and i think apprenticeship is, is a to me it's, it's a no-brainer Absolutely no brainer. It is a no brainer. And with labor shortages being what they are these days, you would think that they'd want to invest in having that kind of program where they can come through the ranks, as you say, 
So I'm really surprised that it's declined as much as it has. Yeah. And it's not just us, it's every institution. And then I've talked from VCC in Vancouver, out west in SCC and Halifax, they're all running into the same issues. It's a nationwide problem because then, you know, how, once you have your red seal, I think it gives, it's interprovincial. So you become transferable all across. And it also gives the foundation to grow then into a leading position within the culinary sector. Absolutely. So we touched a little bit on labor shortages, and realistically, that has become the biggest subject in the industry right now. Uh, we have incredible labor shortages going on in this industry, and, and in most industries, to be honest. Um, what are some of the solutions that the industry has to tackle? I mean, obviously, the schools have to work together with industry because it's a partnership, but how do we tackle this issue? It's huge, and it's, it really promises to destroy the industry if we don't get a handle on it pretty quickly, because without staff, you have no restaurants. Yeah. And I think the keys, and I mentioned it when we had the 30 under 30 celebrations last week, I said, it is key that the industry understands EDI, understands that the workplace has to have a work-life balance with the current generation. They will not do what we used to do is six days a week, split shift, you know, poor wages. That's right. Because we all, A, we loved what we did when we thought eventually we will grow into a leading position. But that sort of tolerance, I would call it, that we had is still no longer present. And I think it's important that they have um, a good opportunity for those who choose to be in this industry to show progression, to show that work-life balance, and also to show that there is a long-lasting career insight with them without working eight, 10 years in the sort of the grunt work and, and having competitive uh, wages and benefits to go with. I think that's most important because many leave it. And the thing is we can graduate every day students, but if the industry doesn't take them on, doesn't take care of them and make sure to keep them and retain them. And then to your point, get that base built and then and use it and, and grow your strong middle management and senior management that way. I think they will be chasing their tail for a long, long time. It'll be a revolving door in and out, in and out. And unfortunately, some of the data shows that two to three years after graduations, a good portion of the students leave the industry. Why? Because it's not competitively paid. It doesn't have the work-life balance. And I get it. I mean, restaurants are restaurants for that reason. They're not Monday to Friday, they're not nine to five. But how right. else can you manage this? Is it a four-day, 12-hour shift? And then have three days off. Like you can work your schedule in a way that you really become a bit more creative than, you know, asking them to work 12 hour shifts and with no break. That's not going to fly. It will not fly. Sure. And we're just, like I said, will it be eroding your base on a constant, you know, manner. And you touched on something which, which I say all the time. I don't think it's a question of the industry can't find people and hire them. They usually do find them and hire them. The question is retaining them. As you said, you know, after three years, that door starts to spin again. So the question is, how do you keep them employed, not just yeah. how you hire them? Yeah. Um, and I think the pandemic shone a light on some of those foundational problems that the industry has dealt with. And mm -hmm. I think we're, we're talking about these issues more now, which I think is a good thing, whether it's mental health issues, the 24-7 yeah. nature of the industry. From your perspective as an educational institute, what can you do to prepare these students for those realities of what 
work will be like in the hospitality industry. When I've talked to students in the past, whenever I've judged culinary competitions from students, they always say, you know, they want to, they think they're going to graduate and they're going to open their own restaurant in, in like six months. How can the school system better prepare students for that different reality that really is existing? Yeah, I think instilling them business and entrepreneurial skills to understand it's not just to be a, a good service, a uh, good host, a good you know um, event manager, but also understanding the financials behind it, how to create a good bottom line, how to build a team, uh, create very good soft skills. They're important to deal with you know your your peers and also your colleagues when you're in a workplace. Bringing them out, which we do quite a lot, is bringing them to uh, organizations. So we had a, a, a large group of students going to the convention center, going to the Ritz-Carlton, just to really understand the operation, speaking to the executive chef, speaking to the food and beverage director, speaking to the hotel manager, to really understand what is involved in being and how do they, how did they get there, right? So the question is, so what does it take and how long does it take? So it's due mm-hmm. part a good dose of reality that they need. So they're not going to be the instant TV superstar chef making millions of dollars and, and uh, you know, being happy thereafter. But I think it, it is still a very hands-on um, industry. It is always dealing with people, which is a separate skill on its own. So we need to make sure that we build that stamina within the students that they can deal with a bad day and they can deal with a good day. So I think that is that that getting that robust graduate and alumni to go out there and understand what's expected from them and not creating any some sort of illusion that it's going to be all just, right. you know, roses, roses thereafter, so to speak. Uh, sure. It's, and you have your ups and you have your downs. Oh my gosh. Everyone, you know, going through the industry, we all had days was like, Oh my God, I'm, I don't want to come back tomorrow. And then, Tomorrow yeah. you get up and you go back to where you came from. And it's just, you, you take it, getting that energy and, and two point mental health is important. It has grown. I think the requirements and the pandemic really highlighted and, and emphasized that sort of need that we need to make sure that we have accessible learning support, that we get there to our students and help them in, in that time of need and get them be a sounding board, sit down with them you know, listen to them, what what they're going through, because it's not just what they do inside the classroom, but what they deal outside of the classroom, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to get food, trying to get rent, trying to figure out the job, support themselves, uh, life all around that happens to them while they're here and studying and trying to, you know, get themselves accelerated and and, and grow their career. So do you have um, programs in place on the mental health side? I know there's now groups that are out there trying to help uh, people in the industry with mental health issues. But what are you doing with that topic in your in your actual school? Do you have any a curriculum around mental health or, or any resources that help students deal with that? Yeah, mental health obviously has grown exponentially during the pandemic. And I think it is a huge need uh, that we, we are addressing, but we need to continue uh, to grow that team within the college and the division to make sure that students are properly supported because they are dealing with different levels of stress and different factors. As I mentioned, life happens outside of the study and outside of the school and that we that we see them supported. So we have third-party support. We have in-house support. Our public safety is trained on it. Uh, we, we really have a good connection and there's an entire accessible learning services department that helps and supports 
the students uh, in a very effective way. And uh, we're con constantly reviewing our support measure and see how we can build it out even more to make sure that we, we catch everyone that we can. Because it, it really is, it's, it's, it's a lot of students that do need that support. And sometimes just a good conversation. I just talked to one of my chairs and they spent like an hour and a half on the phone with a student that just had a massive breakdown. And it wow. is the reality of today. And it's not just in the school. It happens at work. It happens in life. I think there's the pandemic definitely scarred quite a few folks uh, when it comes to that. For sure. Um, Rudy, we've talked a little bit about some of the changes that you're making at George Brown and, you know, the increased labs and renovations. Um, what other kind of changes would you like to see in colleges and universities, not just specifically George Brown, but across mm -hmm. the board to make schools more relevant to today's yeah. students? I know that, you know, one of the things I hear sometimes is that the curriculum always focuses on more of the traditional European approach. And with globalization being as important as it is today and students coming from all over the world, maybe we need to change some of that curriculum. What else would you like to see change? Great question again. Uh, <laughs> I look at one of the things we're launching, a new international cuisine uh, graduate certificate program in May of 2023. Uh, we also just uh, formed the uh, Academic Program Excellence Committee, which helps to analyze A through student focus groups, making sure that the experience is uh, true uh, to what they expected uh, as the student coming into institution. I think that's important for students institutions and universities to listen to their students, what they experience and what they think is great and engaging uh, educational value to them. And obviously have our program advisory committee to making sure that we get that input uh, and have a constant connection with them. So we make sure that we have super PACs, specific, specific program packs, uh, which are the program advisory committees to get us the input uh, and making sure that we are relevant with the what we teach them and what certifications are, if it's uh, and a wine certification, if it's a beer certification. And I think what is differentiating now is a very big push on, on other elements that we actually, the 30 and the 30, we saw some of those managements and experiential manager. I'm like, what? So those are positions that are being created because our industry has shifted that much that we need to look at what is the, what is a priority and making sure that they're, uh, employability skills uh, and essential employability skills are there for them to be very successful from the get-go. So sustainability, technology, um, making sure that they are trained in a very versatile way, not just to have the core hard skill, but have the surrounding soft skills and technological and digital skills to be very effective when they enter the, the, the job market. I think that is paramount to us. Now we are in the process of reviewing all those programs and seeing what are strong points to a SWOT analysis, making sure that we are hitting all those elements and being certain that we deliver the best possible curriculum. I think that could apply to any institution. Mm -hmm. I think for us, it's always searching. And the one good part is to get applied research implemented into our curriculum. So we have a great uh, research kitchen up on the fourth floor in 215 King, which is called FIRST. Uh, so we are in the process of um, working with different TTA uh, partners right. in the commerce side to bring in product development, to bring in, uh, you know, a shelf a stability uh, checklist to looking. Great idea. Yeah. So it gives them that 
the student that real life experience working with an industry partner while they're going through the training. So they really have that one-on-one -on -one connection. I think that is paramount when it comes to viewpoint. And also within the uh, division that we look at the college, not just hospitality culinary, but how can I connect my program with other divisions? If it is the School of Design, looking at, at, at maybe 3D printing and how does 3D printing come into context to hospitality and culinary and baking arts? And there isn't a pathway. When I look at fashion and food, there's a great connection there. There's music and food. There's so many intersections, design. I mean, the whole element of design has a complexity. So we're just working on a charrette with the chef's house to looking at doing a total refresh uh, of the chef's house on the interior and using the design students working with the hospitality and the culinary students on creating three different programs from three different sectors within the college, but working on one capstone project together. I think that's sort of the sweet spot that students from different programs have the opportunity to come together. Back, come together and have that learning because they all think different ways. A designer thinks different than a project manager, than a, than a culinary or hospitality student. So getting those student minds together and really grapple with that sort of different dynamic, teaching them that will then help them in the workplace to deal with those sort of complexities and being able to be mind strong and being able to apply those skills. Like, yeah, you know, that person thinking differently, but it makes total sense because they're looking at it from a different angle. I love yeah. that collaborative approach. It's, it's wonderful. It's, it speaks it's to, to success. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. Uh, and, and touching on that a little bit before I know our time's starting to run out, but um, I remember when I first came in the industry and you looked at the college system back then, there weren't a lot of people who had worked in the industry teaching in the schools at that point. They were teachers. Yep. And then it, there was a real shift. And, you know, when, when George Brown hired John Higgins to come into the school, that was, that was a big change. Yep. Um, but now that's become more of, I don't want to say the standard, but it's, it's a lot more common. Um, are you making any other changes on the teaching end to, to bring a little bit more of a different approach in it today? Yeah, I think we bring sort of three, we have two degrees, like we have uh, the only culinary degree in Canada. We have a food studies degree, which we just started last year. And we're bringing on a new degree uh, in, in the coming couple of years, uh, looking at that element of industry experience, academic know-how research capacity and bringing them all three into one in those sort of intersection and making sure that the industry experience has huge value the academic ex experience expertise has mm -hmm. a huge value. so we have phds on our academic side as well as much as we have industry chefs that are or, or hospitality or event managers or tourism travel destination managers that are all in the classroom but how do we get them all connected into launching a VR uh, as an example for as a teaching tool or looking at right. those elements. So we're, we're looking at those charrettes, we're looking at those collaborative elements and bringing the uh, chef school, the school of hospitality and the Con Ed school together into one space creates and also stokes that collaboration. I've been approached on several occasions already. It's like, we have a great idea. Let's do this. We have a great idea. Let's do that. So I love that energy because I think it feeds itself and it really opens and broadens on how we look at delivering education, not just for today, but for the coming years and being, you know, we want to be leading from the front. I think as an institution, we ought to be leading from the front and George Brown has 
definitely a very strong brand recognition, specifically around culinary and hospitality. We're going to build out on that and make it even stronger and better. And to your point, giving them the tools to be successful when they hit the ground running. Yeah, that's amazing. So, Rudy, I know our time is running out and I, I wanted to just um, end, I guess, with a couple of questions. Sure. Obviously, we're living in really tumultuous times, even though we're kind of out of the pandemic, we're still not totally out of it. And we've we've all gone through a big struggle over the last three years. Um, as a dean and a new dean uh, recently, and you know, installed dean of George Brown College, there must be so many things that you're working on and so many challenges. What keeps you up at night? What are what are the things that uh, cause you to lose sleep, or maybe maybe you sleep well? I don't. I know. sleep soundly for ten hours. No, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> wishful you. thinking. Wishful thinking. No, I think it is. You're right. Uh, the whole division is top of mind for me. A not because it's just new, but also I see opportunities. Some see it as as an obstacle or as a, as a problem. I said, well, let's look at it as a, in a different lens as an opportunity. So making sure that all the labs work well, looking at the equipment, looking at the technology in the labs, uh, are our students getting the proper training and are they exposed to all the elements that they need to have knowledge about to go into the industry to be successful? That keeps me up, uh, making sure we have a strong culture within the Center for Hospital and Culinary Arts because it's it's very important. I always say culture eats systems for breakfast. And if you have a strong, positive culture, I think that makes it. How do I do it? Uh, I start like meet the dean and, and go in the atrium, just sit there and people coming up and talking to me and staff talking to me and just to coming up with ideas. And we actually had some great ideas and some changes that we make will ache remove barriers of entry for students to join the program, making it more um, seamless when they're coming and taking sort of those stress factors mm -hmm. away from the students when they come to the college looking. So we, as just as an example, taking all the uniforms, knife and safety shoes all built into the tuition. So when they come there, even though they have to wait for OSAP, not a problem, get all your tools, get your equipment, and you're ready in your uniform in the class first day with all the tools that you need. So being thoughtful always put yourself in the shoe of the student what would the student think experience and that's why it's so important collecting that data from the students from the student focus groups and then sharing it with the team and looking at, at viable solutions that make sense keeping the money in the student's pocket and also at the same time for us to be efficient and uh, provide sustainable uh, delivery of programming throughout for the coming years so that we are we're definitely viable and also that we contribute to the bottom line for the college as well. So we can, again, invest that money into renovations and, and new projects and new programming. Wonderful. That's uh, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that you're sleeping all those long hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so one last question and we'll wrap up. With the labor shortages that the industry is experiencing and with, you know, challenging enrollment with, you know, declines and everything else going on, how optimistic are you for the for the future of the hospitality industry in Canada? We've gone through so much. I go back from recessions to 9-11 to SARS to this pandemic. I mean, we are sort of the, you know, if you fall down 10 times on your knees, it's important that you get up to 11th time and, you know, clean your knees and off you go and keep on. I think that's the resilience of our industry. We just, we take a punch, we roll with the punches, we get up and, and, and we look at 
that experience that we just had and how do we make it better? This was, I think, the conversation we just had today as an example. How do we do things different? How do we do things better? How do we make it more efficient? Uh, how do we, you know, service the industry that we try to provide new talents to? And, and that's, that's sort of the element, that's what makes us. I think we have a bright future ahead. Technology will be a driver, I think, because of the staff shortages. There are so many elements that uh, in, in the hospitality and tourism industry is looking into automation, anything mm-hmm. that can be automated. Is it from a laundry? Is it from, you know, cleaning rooms to front desk? I mean, look at, at many of the other sort of hotels are doing away with front desk because it's automated right. check and it's an app. You have your app and you open your door with your phone and there's so much technology that is coming our way. And I think that will accelerate in the next few years. Technology will be a big, big driver just for the cost efficiencies and also to close the gap in, in, in the labor shortage that we're experiencing. And it was chronic even before the pandemic. And you know it as much as I do. We sure. were constantly looking for new talent. And I think it just has that much more amplified the situation. And, and we need to really look at it in a fresh set of eyes. Well, as challenging as it is, and I know there's going to be, you know, little bumps in the road, I think what you're saying is really there's a lot of opportunities and a lot of excitement coming ahead. And I think um, the industry is going to change quite significantly over the next three to five years. And what you're doing at George Brown is already the tip of that. So um, so I, I want to say thank you for being here today. I know it's been um, a busy time for you in your new role, so I do appreciate it. Yeah. And I also wanted to say thank you for helping us host our top 30 under 30 last week. We really our enjoyed pleasure. being here. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to the Pinnacle Award, which is coming a couple of weeks. Coming right up, yes. I know you are super busy yourself. I think your sleeping hours are very short as well, I would think. Well, I don't sleep <laughs> 10 hours. Let me put it that way. <laughs> I was kidding. Trust me, if I get I five, six, are. I'm happy. <laughs> I know, me yeah. too, me yeah. too. Yeah. But anyway, sure. thank you so much for your time, Rudy. I Thanks really so much, Rosanna. All the Take best. Care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Table Talk Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to rate and review our show. Also, make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button. For additional resources related to today's episode, please visit our website, foodserviceandhospitality.com. Until next time.